the second in OLAC's series of podcasts dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Carol Oxley, OLAC co-director, and your host for this podcast about equity in the age of COVID. Many of us know how difficult the pandemic has been for schools and districts. Far worse, however, are the hardships it has brought to many parents, families, and communities. The hardest hit are those who were already overlooked, ignored, and excluded from decision-making prior to the pandemic. Educators in Ohio school districts understand the challenge. They're working to help every community get the resources they need, have their voices heard, and make the decisions that count. In this podcast, we hear from six Ohio educators struggling on behalf of equity on the pandemic's front lines. Our colleagues are Dr. Dion Blue, Chief Equity Officer, Columbus City Schools, Ms. Diane Campbell, Principal, Wedgwood Middle School, Columbus City Schools, Dr. Reva Cosby, Superintendent, Trotwood Madison Local Schools, Dr. Theta Gibbs Gray, Ohio University, Dr. Tom Gibbs, Superintendent, Athens City Schools, and Dr. Lucy Rader-Brown, ESL Coordinator, Westerville City Schools. We start the discussion with Dr. Theta Gibbs-Gray, providing a quick orientation to what matters most. I see every student as brilliantly beautiful and that their parents want the best for them to thrive but that society doesn't always look at each of our students in that way, which has perpetuated these issues systemically that continue to happen. So it's like all these things that they were already dealing with and now on top of it, they're being isolated and these issues can seem much, much harder to deal with. There are so many ways that they need resources we need to continue to think about. As Dr. Gibbs Gray has eloquently reminded us, every student is brilliantly beautiful. Each deserves our best efforts in ordinary times and certainly in times of great need. Equity is at the heart of that work. We hear about the specifics of such equity work from Diane Campbell, Dion Blue, both from Columbus, Lucy Rader Brown from Westerville, Tom Gibbs from Athens, and Reva Cosby from Trotwood, Madison. My EL families, some of them are not documented, so they're afraid to seek employment or seek some of the other supports that some English-speaking families have, such as the SNAP program, which is our food assistance program that are helping to save families. So because of the fear of what might happen to them, they're not seeking some of the same supports that our English families would, would seek out. Unfortunately, also, then we, the area that I live in, because we have a large apartment building, it's like a food desert. So we don't have a grocery store within two miles, things of that nature. So the only food schedule that they have for their students were the meals that we provide, you know, through our building. Financially, then they're also struggling trying to figure out how do they feed so many kids two, three meals a day, which we're not used to, and how they balance that need and that with the <laughs> increasing rise in utilities now because everyone's at home. It's, it's a real struggle for the families around my building. At school, we would have different ESL things set up for students, but 
remotely, it's a little more difficult. And so just trying to make sure to hone in, not just on our largest non-English speaking populations, because, you know, those are groups that get more support because of numbers, but instead we're seeing a greater need in populations where we don't have the numbers, which means we also don't have as much support around their language. We see this a lot with our EL families and our families who need to work. They have children trying to learn at home and they have to work outside of the home to make a living. They want to be there with their children. However, they also need to put food on the table. So it becomes very challenging. They are suffering because their children need help. We have uh, families that are attached to the university who do fairly well economically and then families that are more uh, typical Southeast Ohio families that are really struggling to find work and to, to, to lead a, a full economic life. I want to make sure I, I separate that because they're, they're living great lives um, from rural areas and rural, high poverty rural areas. Um, just great families uh, to work with, but just struggle economically. We rely heavily on the service industry but with the university and with the students not being here. There have been a lot of service jobs that have been reduced. We've had a lot of business shutdowns. The, the vast majority of families associated with the University have maintained their employment, whereas a lot of our families live out in rural areas um, have been laid off. So yes, there is a very clear disproportionate impact based economically. My community, I, I believe, has really suffered a lot, not just from COVID, but a lot of things were going on prior to that as far as equity is concerned. Um, we're a predominantly African-American school district and community. And we have had a tornado come through and destroy a significant amount of property, displacing our students. We have also had a major shooting that occurred, a random shooting that occurred in our downtown area that impacted a lot of our students as well. And so then on top of that, we had COVID. It's not surprising that in this crisis, educators are organizing care for their families and communities. The fact is that they already cared, but now they are proving their care more clearly than ever as Diane Campbell, Lucy Rader-Brown, Reva Crosby, and Dion Blue report. It's forced teachers to come together and it's forced teachers to, it's humbled a lot of teachers and forced teachers to actually take a step back when we think about inequities, take a step back and realize that a lot of people don't teach with people that look like them, right? And so it took this for them to truly kind of drop down and take a hard look inside someone's home and their circumstances and truly understand who you're actually serving. We try phone calls, we try home visits, we try a myriad of ways to try to connect with the families and then engage with them and find out how can we help you with the struggle. We have what we call success coaches hired by the district to reach out to those families who are on remote learning to help them navigate through whatever it is, whether they're not getting connected, they're not getting logged on, they're not showing us the participation and engagement in their remote learning. These are people who were hired just this year for this purpose. Now, one of the things we did because we're not using our bus drivers to run their routes, we actually have our bus drivers helping the cafeteria workers package the food and they're delivering it to homes. 
So they actually have contacted the families and said, on Tuesday, you will receive a week's worth of food. So they don't get just prepackaged lunch and dinner. What we're doing is we're giving loaves of bread and gallons of milk, and we're giving proteins and fruits and vegetables, things like that, more like you would go to the grocery store and get a week's worth of groceries. It really seems to be making a difference. Our Office of Engagement has probably been the most help of any other office in our district in terms of really being able to get to students and families. And so we have created learning extension centers and those are faith-based and or community-based. And they're all around the city. There are approximately 150 of them around the city. They're free. You don't have to go to a specific school in order to you know, go to that learning extension center. If there's one in your neighborhood, you can go to, but they provide Wi-Fi there free. So you can come in and get on the internet. There's tutoring help. So you can come and get assistance with school, or you can just come in and do your daily, you know, remote learning in there with adults that are in the building already. They also provide meals and some even provide some after school activities. So there, we're really trying to make those be a one-stop shop for students to just be able to, in your neighborhood, walk to it. Widespread online schooling as a partial or total response to the pandemic is new for K-12 districts in Ohio and across the nation. But since March 2020, educators all across the state have been helping every family get computers. And they have even made up for the poor internet coverage that prevails in many places across Ohio. Tom Gibbs, Reva Cosby, and Diane Campbell report what their districts have been doing. What we found is, is that because of how um, we have a lot of hills and, and dales here and, and, uh, and a lot of tree cover, and both of those things impact uh, wireless connectivity. Um, so even though T-Mobile's map may show that they, they provide service to our entire area, there are in fact specific addresses where the, those, those hotspots don't work, which creates a challenge with equity, right? Because you have your, your students and some of them are, have the highest need now have almost no access whatsoever. We actually narrowed that down to about 20 addresses district-wide. So if you think about having 2,700 students and having 20 addresses where there's just absolutely no, no internet, um, that's, it's, not, it's not bad, right? But still, for those 20 families, it's, it means their students aren't getting educated. We worked with our own tech department to put AAP's access points for our own wireless network at the outer edges of our building so that we could have pull-in kind of parking lots where you could come to the school and, and get internet. We worked with Ohio University to do the same thing. Um, so the university created drive-in wireless spots for families and community members. And for those who were with the greatest need, we, we physically photocopied packets and took materials to families. This year, what we found is, is that families who originally had said, yes, we have internet, realized that they may not have the bandwidth of internet they needed for Zoom meetings and online instruction. So we actually have added another 180 hotspots. I have 80 more showed, showed up yesterday, so those are getting distributed uh, today and tomorrow. And then Chromebooks, a lot of families presume if they had a computer, you know, that they'd be fine. So um, 
they didn't think about the idea that, well, if I'm working at home, my child needs to be in a class at a certain time, it's going to create conflict. So we've actually distributed now about 2,400 Chromebooks. 600 of those have been, have been at the start of this school year. So we distributed close to 2,000 last year and then another 600. With some of the money that we've received, the ESSER money, the um, CARES Act money, we were able to purchase enough computers that all of our students now have a computer. We didn't go one per house, but one per child. But the bigger issue was connectivity. You know, they didn't have Wi-Fi access. So even though they had the computer, they could not get on to do their work. So we have our bus drivers repurposed. We have five major apartment complexes in our community. So we have a bus stationed in each of those five complexes with hotspots on them. So the community people can connect through our buses. For people who that still doesn't work for, like if you're on the back side of the apartment complex, we've realized you may not have connectivity. So we also use some of our grant money to purchase individual hotspots. So we didn't have enough devices for every student, then reaching out to partners and trying to get devices for them, reaching out to our local um, public transit system to get them to station their buses across the city so that there's free Wi-Fi for families. And now we're literally able to count every single kid that we gave a device to who might see, still need, when I say device, it could be a Chromebook or a hotspot, schools, and it's intentional. So the expectation is every single school should be able to report who picked up their devices, who picked up their curriculum materials, who's still left over, what the building plan is for contacting families. But on top of that, there's a district plan for contacting families. We repurpose district staff. So in those spaces where, you know, well, you don't need 500 million custodians. So they're repurposed and they become this extension to communication with families. Administrators are back in the building part-time. And so those people are stepping out of their roles and they're the connectors. They're connecting with the families that the schools can't reach. Engagement of families and communities is a major commitment in Ohio's education plan, Each Child, Our Future. As the plan says, a responsive education system committed to equity in education is one that successfully partners with families and community members to identify and address the needs of each child. At OLAC, we strongly support that perspective. We also realize that it's a big challenge for schools and districts. But a pressing threat like the COVID pandemic has provided a chance for educators to place families and communities at the center of their focus. As Theta Gibbs Gray, Tom Gibbs, and Diane Campbell report, school districts are thinking and acting with greater family and community focus. And it's an approach that can carry forward into the future. I do know that for community members who are still saying, one of the concerns is please don't let this be temporary. You know, you're providing this support, but once we go back, once there's face-to-face -face instruction, please do not let this be temporary. Something that we also have to think about too is yeah, many, many communities will continue to struggle and that school districts 
need to continue this work. And it just, it doesn't stop when all returns to normal and there will be no normalcy. We'll have a, a, a new normal, but just that they're not forgotten. That is also what I'm hearing is, you know, don't forget about us and continue to work. Let's not just say that this is a benchmark for success, that we were able to some degree successfully reach our students in the school district, that it should not stop when things resume to whatever form of normalcy they resume back to. With COVID, what we've done is we've prepackaged bags of food, uh, clean supplies, san sanitary supplies, things like that, and have a drive-by pickup. Um, and so we're serving between 70 and 100 families a month um, in that way as well. And uh, we still have more people signing up. So I think that'll continue to, to grow. And then the other thing we do is we started several years ago our own uh, food pantry for, for the school district and it's set up so it's just one, it's one day a month, but it's where you can come in and shop. Like it's literally, we have like shelves of food and you can come in and kind of choose for yourself what you'd like to have. But the nice thing about this too is that families have actually said they can tell that we care. And so a family can literally log in, ask as many questions as they want. They're getting true frontline customer service. They're getting, you know, they're getting questions asked by typically they would not. Like, what executive director do you know on, you know, back in the day would have right. returned that parent phone call within an hour? You know, so it's, we're, we all have the same purpose. It's all intentional. It doesn't matter what job titles are. You know, we're all here to serve and families actually see that because it's intentional, because we've made everything available to them. Mm -hmm. And because we keep reminding everyone, we just need grace. You know, we're not going to get it all right, but know that these are intentions. And that's a word, that's a word you'll hear 50 million times a day now. Just, just get grace, but we're trying to do it right. Responsive caretaking during the pandemic is happening everywhere across Ohio. But what are the lessons for the longer term? Many educators have been thinking about that, especially about how to make things more equitable for and more responsive to the families that in the past have been ignored, marginalized, and sometimes even excluded. The pandemic has been a wake-up call, bringing the need for equity out in the open, making it a front and center priority. Theta Gibbs-Gray, Tom Gibbs, and Diane Campbell share some of the realizations they've come to. It gets down to a, a deeper issue that these are parents and communities who all along have been struggling with resources. So it's what do we do beyond the school districts responding, but what could we do on a larger scale to ensure that it's just not the school districts that are ensuring that parents and community and, and students have resources? How could we as a community and as a state and as a city ensure that parents and, and their students have these types of resources? We're thinking about how do we utilize those skills that will have been developed to create even greater equity, you know? So when you have students who are, um, who have a health related issue or who need a service at a location two hours away that we just can't get them back and forth, um, but they could do telehealth now, or they could do teletherapy. What we're trying to do is trying to look at how do we take this experience and take 
the investments we've made in technology and the things that we've learned as educators to improve that experience for students long-term. We have hundreds of families in Athens and the immediately surrounding counties who go to a virtual school that's based out of Toledo or Cleveland or Columbus, that if we had something like that here in Athens, and then we also own buses and have athletic teams, could we create a better experience for those students through extracurricular activities and field trips and things of that nature? So we're trying to be positive in regards to addressing the needs of our most at-risk students. We still are living in a society where systemically there is a big gap in resources for a number of reasons. And that to me, this is just shining a light more on those gaps and helping school districts to understand really the possibilities because through COVID, we have had to be creative and think about all of the possible ways to reach each other and to deliver instruction and to connect. And it's letting us know that these things are possible. The uniqueness about this experience is as soon as schools closed, that engagement office expanded. It's almost like a partnership with the city. Within a couple of weeks, our small meetings became this uh, kind of task force of 50, 60 people from all walks of life. And so it really ramped up and it be, it's become this forever partnership. Like we can plan for it now. We can plan for the future. As was the case for our interviewees, the pandemic has alerted educators to the critical need to champion equity. It has also called on them to take immediate action in partnership with families community members, local agencies, and many others. These educators and their colleagues in districts across Ohio clearly want to help all children thrive. More than ever, and in part because of the pandemic, they now realize that work to provide the best for each child is bound up with work to help the world become a more equitable, and nurturing place. Thank you for tuning in to OLAC's podcast series. OLAC is committed to providing free, timely, high-quality online products to support educational improvement across the state of Ohio. I'm Stanley Dudek. I provide support and technical assistance for OLAC podcasts through the University of Cincinnati's Systems Development and Improvement Center. Credit for our podcast music goes to Expendable Friend, whose musical composition is licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license.